Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Padam. Padam. My heart goes padam. <laughs> Literally Gaysians. You're listening to Literally Gaysians, a podcast where two Gaysian daddies, literally Gaysian daddies, daddy, get real about their feelings and literally Gaysian shit. And here's my co host, Grandpa Bao. <laughs> Hi, guys. The topic today is daddy. Since Father's Day just passed, Today's episode is the fatherhood episode. Chris, could you have kids? In this economy? Uh, No. Uh, I've been called a daddy to my dismay, but being a dad, probably not. And I ain't no spring chicken anymore. I I can't imagine, like, starting fatherhood now. What about you? I mean, I'm relatively the same. I feel like I'm more in the questioning phase. No one told you after coming out, you would still question a lot of different things in life. And fatherhood is one of the things I have so many questions about. So we've invited official dads today to talk about their journey into fatherhood and how it's been. So hi, Ed. Hi, Bobby. Hey, everyone. Wait, wait. I thought that this was episode three of um, Fangate. Am I in the wrong place? <laughs> uh, I don't think we said the memo properly, Val. I'm no, no longer mentioning the words Fangate, EDC, New York, <laughs> New York Asians ever again. So over it. <laughs> Not over it. We're going to just give that topic some space but some rest thank you ed thank you bobby for being here thanks for having us excited to join yes ed then let's start with you really quick how do we know each other and how long have you been a daddy Mm. so i think the um bow how we know each other is kind of a boring story because i'm really close with your ex-boyfriend and so uh met you through that but you didn't like me (laughs) Uh, I didn't not like you. I thought you were incredibly boring. And you take time. 
I mm. didn't know that you were coming down from the day before. <laughs> and so, like, you could barely speak. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, why are you dating this cute but, like, really boring guy? And then the next time I had an interaction with you, I was like, whoa, where did all this wit and personality come from? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love and, that. Um, and it's also great that we've formed our own friendship beyond um, the relationship that you were in. Um, Chris, I think this story is fun, and I don't think you know some of it. So Chris mentioned, I think maybe in the first podcast, how you participated in a Asian queer youth group called mm-hmm. Aqua, which was like a forced acronym for like APIs queer under 25 altogether or some something like yeah. that. Right? <laughs> we love those in the 90s. Yeah. And so I had just moved to San Francisco and come out. Um, I had actually come out and moved to San Francisco to be with my first boyfriend. And I was working as a high school teacher uh, by Balboa High School in the city. And I started my own like coming out journey. And so I was like just under the cusp of Aqua. I was 23, right? And so I started going to these meetings and Chris was there and that's how we met. And I thought it was, this is where I learned about like age and relative age and also gay age, right? Because Chris was older than me in gay age, but I was old, significantly older than him in actual age. And I came to this realization like, oh, I'm so uh, you were probably 15, right? At the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I used to also say I was um, uh, uh, two gay years old. <laughs> yes. <At 15. laughs> so I, I was zero gay years old, and uh, but I was 23. And I got a lot out of that space in the conversation and the connections, but also like I didn't want to process my shit with high school kids when I was a high school teacher. And so you're one of the reasons I had to quit Aqua because I didn't <laughs> want to be like working through like sexual adventures and feelings of identity and all that in the presence of people in high school children so, yeah so you kicked me yeah. out basically uh, I, I guess i started driving men away at an early age <laughs> before you could drive yeah it was for your own legal good ed <laughs> how long have uh, and how long have you been a daddy ed uh my oldest is 12 and my young so 12 oh my years God, and my already. youngest is a yup tween on high puberty alert um <laughs> and my youngest is six all right. And hi again, Bobby. Hi. Real, so How's really quick, going? same question. Mm-hmm. How do we all know each other and how long have you been a dad? Yeah. So I met Bao in high school. We were... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dang. I know. I think... Um, wasn't it journalism? Yes, we were it in journalism It must have been journalism, together. right? We were Paul in journalism Prince. together. Paul mm-hmm. Prince. And we were both in like... You were an editor. I was um, doing business stuff whatever that was, trying to get ads and stuff like that. So, yeah, known you for quite a bit of time. Um, Chris, I want to say we met the typical, the way that a typical person met, probably at uh, through mutual friends at a bar or something. Do you recall? Yeah. yeah. I think we actually, 
to bring, be, bring up the an the horse. Don't, we might don't, don't at EDC. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no more, no more EDC. <laughs> I was gonna say. That, that didn't last a whole 10 minutes before EDC came on this. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna put we're gonna put EDC in the parking lot. And what about your kids? So my son Preston is three. He just turned three in May. Oh, they're still cute. Yeah. So he's at that age where I call him my little three nager. He doesn't want to wake up in the mornings. Let's start learning more about your kids, like which some of us have met before. Uh, Bobby, maybe continue, like, maybe tell us a little bit more about Preston. Sure. You know, um, I always count my blessings and I feel so blessed to have Preston in my life. I think when I found out that the surrogate was pregnant, I just kept praying about him being healthy and happy. And I'm so grateful that I got both. You know, you hear stories about different parents and their kids and, you know, everything from calicking to, you know, just being very naughty, just running around, like not, not sitting down and, um, just giving you a hard time. But Preston from a very young age, he would go to sleep at 10 and not wake up at eight, eight thirty. He would leave me alone. Um, he, you know, when we, when we shower, we shower now together. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good time. And then he'll like take off his clothes and put it in the basket. And, you know, so I think from a young age, you teach them a lot of stuff and, they start to know what they have to do. And I just saw on Instagram, you're expecting. Yeah, I am. So I know, I know I've always wanted to have a, a sibling for, for Preston. A lot of people think it's such a brave thing to do. I know it's going to be challenging in the, in the beginning, but I think it'll be a good thing for Preston to have a sibling, to wake up during the weekends and you know have each other where I don't have to run around wondering if I need to set up a play date. I probably can vouch for that. Or I guess your kids are six years apart right so <laughs> he's shaking his head um <laughs> but yeah i've i did a lot of soul searching and then talked to some parents that have had just one kid versus multiple kids and they all say it's a good thing you know there's some patience in the beginning but it all works out in the end for the better i'm eager he's coming august so we have about two months um the surrogate's actually doing her last ultrasound today so that was exciting. Oh my God, so exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And speaking of siblings, Ed, how about your kids? Um, so Bobby did not contact me as part of his research, and I definitely <laughs> would have been a divergent opinion um, as part of that. So my um, journey to fatherhood was uh, a different route. So my partner and I, husband and I, decided that we wanted to have children and that we would do it through adoption and foster adopt ended up being the route that we decided to take for several reasons. Um, and so we first adopted our older child 12 years ago. He was born into deep poverty with all kinds of complications and his birth mother did a safe surrender. But we were very fortunate to get him at, we met him at five months old and uh, he moved in at six months old. So it was early in his life and early in the process. And we 
thought one was enough and uh, was keeping us occupied. And we would have conversations about, should we have another kind of like bow you're in the questioning stage, right? So Mm -hmm. we were in the questioning stage about child two for a while. And then we got a call from a social worker saying we have this baby boy and he is six weeks old and here's his situation. And I said, why are you talking to me? Right. And she said, oh, I forgot to say he's the biological brother of your son. And so I was actually on BART, like our transit system, and I screamed on BART, but like people scream on BART all the time, so it wasn't a big deal. (laughs) And um, so we met uh, my younger uh, child the next day, and then he moved in with us four days later. And so in five days? Yeah. So we had an unplanned gay pregnancy. And, uh, wow. it, and and then a rapid birth, right? So that's how uh, number two came into our lives. And um, we've been rolling with them ever since. And I met them. They're adorable. They're some cute-ass kids. It's they're true. really cute-ass kids. They get into a lot of trouble because of that, but they're cute-ass kids. God damn it. <laughs> um, so let's go back to a time before you had the kids. You both were maybe in the questioning fatherhood stage. So what did fatherhood mean to you before you became a dad? Like, how long had you actually been thinking about it before it actually happened? And and Ed, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so when I started to realize that I was gay, the thing I was most worried about or sad about was that I wouldn't become a father because Mm -hmm. I had zero models of queer dads in the world. And it still is fairly, was fairly uncommon when we started our parenting journey. So I, I kind of mourned that. And then I met my husband. Uh, we just celebrated our 19th anniversary and we had a conversation early on kind of the value alignment conversation, right? That we realized we both wanted kids and we both wanted to adopt. And so our values were aligned and then we put that on a shelf, right? And honestly, it would have stayed on a shelf forever because I was happy with my life. I was enjoying things. I was busy with other things. And um, as y'all know, I have ADHD, so interrupting my life in order to plan something as complicated as as an adoption uh, was outside the realm of possibility for me. My partner is one of the best planners in the world. So he brokered the conversation with me. uh, I think I was 36, and I kind of did the math, right? And was like, okay, if I want to have like a life after my kids... Uh, leave the nest, then it's time to move now. And I do want that. And so then we went into the process. I had a midlife crisis that interrupted everything. And uh, apparently social workers uh, freak out if you leave the country and go to Southeast Asia for six months without (laughs) telling them. So we had to jumpstart the process again. Uh, But um, it, it all worked out and we ended up having our first kid. And so I was thrilled that I could 
find fatherhood, uh, well, find a partnership and find fatherhood as a out gay man. And also, since I had been an educator, I knew that my love was not dependent upon biology. And so I had no doubt that I could fall in love with a child Mm. that uh, was not, did not share DNA with me. And that is a hundred percent being been the case. It is hormonal, however. I remember very early on Chris holding our new baby and the love I felt for him, for Chris, elevated to a different level that I hadn't experienced before. And it was totally hormonal because I I felt like this is the protector of our offspring. He will keep us (laughs) safe. He will keep us alive, right? And so it was this very primal connection that I had um, in that moment. I should clarify Chris, my husband, not Chris, who's on this podcast. (laughs) I I have primal... (laughs) affection for you as well. Got a little confused there. <laughs> I've been thinking about you a lot, Ed, because I'm actually the age right now that you were when you had your midlife crisis. Okay, first mm-hmm. of all, I didn't know I was in midlife already. <laughs> and second of all, <laughs> I'm the, the age that you were when you had your first kid. And yeah. so that's really been why I've kind of been in this, this questioning phase. I think it's good to figure out how long that questioning phase can last, right? Because age matters in this game. And also, I just want to be clear for you, Bao, and everybody here. I'm a big fan of multiple midlife crises. You don't have to stick to one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first of many. So feel free to take advantage of those opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Bobby, so so what did fatherhood mean to you before you became you know, an actual dad? How long have you been thinking about it? Yeah, you know, I think from a very small, uh, young age, I th- remember even in fifth grade, Picturing my wedding, picturing that this was going to be my life, having kids. I think our our family has always been very family-oriented. My parents, just how my parents raised us, my dad raised and was so involved. Yeah, I think from a young age, I've always wanted to be a dad and, and was just excited about what that entailed, seeing you know, life in the lens through a, a, a child. So I knew that it was just a matter of time, and I was getting up there. I think the planning was around 35, 36. And um, spoke to my partner at the time, decided we were going to go this route and start with the, the surrogacy journey. It's interesting how you both like, like talk about this, like, it's almost like this magical age of 36. <laughs> it, 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 I wonder what it is about that. I, I think it's a sweet spot of like, you know, coming out of your early 30s, you're, you know, you've gone to the bars, you've gone to this, this and that, and you're kind of slowing down a little bit and seeing what's next in life. You know, the gears are going and it's like, okay, well, I think I can relate to Ed as far as midlife, quarter life, whatever it is. I knew I was going to have these weird periods in my life where I would need to reevaluate what position I'm at in, in my life and if it's something that I'm happy with. So having a kid um, helped with that. You know, it took my mind off things and gave me more of a reason to to do the things I needed to do. What was that spark? How did you know when you were ready? I think my partner and I at the time, we were, let's say, four years in our relationship. We had talked about it. And when we first talked about it, uh, we were thinking, okay, well, let's find an egg donor. Um, and then his sister found out that this is what we wanted to do. And then she jumped in. I still remember it was a dinner. She jumped in and said, hey, I'll donate my eggs. And... I think everything just fell into place, the opportunity, that window, and also processing the feeling of, I don't want to be an old dad. There's some old dads 
in my life. And, you know, they have always talked about um, not catching up, not being being able to run around and, you know, you'll you'll lose your breath and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think that was the indication that I should be doing something at this moment. And I'm glad mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I feel you on that because uh, my dad is older and I was like, I always have felt a little bit of jealousy towards my siblings who are um, older than me that I didn't get to have that like super active dad. Mm-hmm. It's good, but like he couldn't, he couldn't keep up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then Ed, what was that spark for you? What, what, what was the thing that made you go, all right, you, you know, I know you're feeling like, oh, here's the age of when I should do it. What was that moment you're like, I'm ready? You had six months in Southeast Asia. When did you feel like you were ready to come back and restart that plan? <laughs> was that your eat, pray, love trip? Uh, amongst other things. Um, <laughs> eat, pray, suck. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> different verbs that could be substituted. Um, I think, so, I mean, honestly, sis, I still don't know if I'm ready. Like, that's part of a be real right that was valid yeah and there was a moment this sounds so white chick cliche i was kayaking um in cambodia on a like tributary to the mekong river <laughs> and so i was kayaking and i was thinking i had all this time but as i was kayaking these children would swim from the sides and like hang on the kayak and i would like play with them and hang out with them until i paddled on and it hit me like it's time i'm ready mm. and so i had this sense of i have fulfilled a lot in life and now it's different it's time for a different type of journey and um came back and chris was really ready and so we fully engaged in the process at that point and it has been a at times satisfying and at times extremely difficult process for me and um that's why i say i still don't know if i'm ready um but i am committed to the course that i set myself upon what it sounds like is that the eat, pray, tra- eat, pray, love trip worked. Uh, the eat, pray, love trip was... So the other part of it is, right, I was at a shitty job before that with a crazy toxic boss. And so I needed to depart from that and heal. And in that healing process, uh, I had an epiphany that it was time and I was ready. But shit, that epiphany may have lied to me. Right. And so like, who knows? But it was a realization that I had. And, and don't you, why don't we just react to some of the things that Bobby and Eddie just said? Let me ask you, don't uh-huh. you, when you were five, did you envision having kids? I did. But I think, oh. it, it, but I think in that like heteronormative sense, like I literally had these um, fantasies. Oh no, not fantasies, like planning. I was like, oh, I am supposed to and will move to Hayward and have kids. And I was just like, but it was just what you did. You, 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 you move out of the city, go to the suburbs, have your kids and do your whatever job. And that was instilled at me in a very young age. But I think I learned better that to not just go with what I'm told that I should be doing. It, 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 I was almost 
a relief when I figured out it was gay. I was like, I don't have to have kids anymore. But, you know, that has clearly evolved over the years. We, we live in a different time. We can have kids, and we should have kids. I have the same reaction. Or maybe not really. I didn't really think about having kids until, like, one of my exes brought it up. Sometimes I wonder if it's, like, I never really wanted kids or I never thought I'd deserve it or I never thought it would be uh, an attainable life. And what, what Ed was saying, right? Like uh, when he came out, he was just like, oh, I'm really sad. I'm going to grieve the fact that I can't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still working through that, I feel like. And I think um, Ed and Bobby, you guys were at, younger than us at this point, me and Doncha at this point, when you had the conversation with your actual partners, <laughs> Doncha and I are in between boyfriends. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. like what I like to call it. And so I think this, in, this idea... Interstitial of, romantic space. Yes, interstitial <laughs> romantic space. And I feel, you know, the, the partner thing is a big deal. Yeah. The partner yeah. thing is a big deal. When, and, then I'm just, I'm, and then it's something I've been thinking about a lot, but like this conversation is kind of like making me kind of hyper fixate that a little bit. Well, I want to throw out an assumption and then we can react to it, right? So I love your podcast, by the way. I listen all the time. I laugh and um, feel feel feelings, right? Which is what you guys are about. I feel like one of the recurring motifs in Literally Gaysians has been what creates fulfillment in the post-twink period, Right? I was never a twink, but yeah. I'm committed right? to the concept. <laughs> but as, as you age to a certain point, like the dynamics of one, the attention you receive out in the community, the novelty of going to parties and bars um, and maybe even EDC shifts um, and one naturally starts to wonder in the years of ahead, how will I find fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think part of my epiphany was I'm not going to keep going to clubs every weekend. And um, I've found a lot of uh, inspiration, passion, and joy and meaning through my life through sports, especially soccer. But I wasn't mm-hmm. going to get better at a soccer as a soccer player at that point, right? And so where are my energies going to channel and where am I going to find joy? And fatherhood seemed like a place where heteronormative culture said you can find that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I signed up for that contract um, Mm -hmm. to live a explicitly heteronormative life and find meaning through marriage and two kids. And so I wonder if that's some of the questioning that Mm -hmm. you feel now. It is. I think so. Yeah, definitely. But where where my epiphany was like, I think I can give my attention to other people's kids. Um, I just didn't think I have the patience myself to, to do it. Um, but, you know, only 10% of my time doing it for others, oh, I can handle that. That's, I think that's where I have leaned into. But it could change. Who knows? I don't know. I think there's a lot of beauty in giving care and affection to other people's kids. 
right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing it full time. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it teaches you a lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I think I feel like I would miss out on. The like I say now that I don't have the patience, but the learning of it, mm-hmm. which I feel like I'm a little on the late end to learn that now. But uh, maybe I'll learn it another way. Yeah, all my close girlfriends just had kids in the last like one or two, one to three years. In the beginning, I was like, maybe I'm not a baby person because, well, the baby's just lying there for like the first six months. But not especially like my friend's three-year-old or my friend's four-year-old where I'm gone for like two months and they grow like five inches or something. It's making me realize the passage of time that's really happening. The Just the beauty of seeing them being this like, wrapped up shriveled raisin at three months to like a person with ideas and imagination and the way they're and just see it through their mom's eyes just like discovering the world discovering interests i do i do find that beautiful and that's a and that's a relatively new feeling for me like the last like six months and and i mentioned that because i do sense this a sense of kernel fulfillment in that but let's get back to like a pretty straightforward question which is like and Ed, you talked about this. Maybe you can expand it a little bit more. Like, how did you have your kids? So I know you talked about like the planning and the process, but for me, for example, I thought like, I'm going to, I might do adoption because it's free. It is not free. <laughs> so It's sometimes well, just as in, uh, expensive as a surrogacy. Yeah. 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 So, so why don't you help some listeners who are questioning both you and Bobby understand just how this all happens? How much did you start saving earlier? Like how much it costs? Like, since you both don't have uteruses, how did you have your kids, Ed? I went the, we went the adoption route. And to overgeneralize, there's three paths to adoption, right? There's international, there's domestic private, and there's domestic public, which means going through the government and foster adopt, right? Hmm. Domestic public is free. And in fact, they pay you as a foster parent. Hmm. And so that was the most cost-effective option, which is one of the reasons why we chose to go that route. And the other reason was um, I am a public school educator or was a public school educator for many years and still work in uh, service of children and families really focused on kids of color. And so it fell aligned with my calling to go through foster adopt as well. And I would say that the cost in foster adopt is emotional because you're signing up for a journey that's full of uncertainty and unpredictability. So you don't know uh, what's going to happen in, in turn, like kids in foster care have faced difficulty right? And so you're signing up for that. And also there's the possibility that the birth parents can get their act together and get their kids back. And so your kids might be taken from you after they were placed, not after adoption. Once adoption's done, the kid is, you are a forever family, right? But Mm -hmm. in that interstitial space, right, between placement (laughs) and adoption, um, it's scary. And I know families who have bonded with their kids and then um, had the kids uh, removed to a relative or something like that. So it can be really difficult. So I would say there's a heavy non-financial cost in that case. Well, that's a, like a that's a really good point. Oh my god, that's what happened to one of my former coworkers. It was 
incredibly emotionally heavy for her because she would have, you know, everything ready for parental leave and leave to say fly to Alabama or something. And then, you know, a week later would come back because, you know, the adoption kind of didn't work out. And this would happen to her a few times. She, she's really happy now. She eventually has two uh, children in her forever family, but I really saw just how much tax it had on her emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point she even took like, she and her partner took like a few months or even a year off of the process to try to recharge. And you hear similar stories with people who do in vitro fertilization, right? Um, le- I, I think it's less, it's a different type of emotional cost, but an, emo- an emotional cost. Maybe that's a good way to segue over to Bobby. Like, how did you have your kids? Tell us about the whole process. Yeah, so we decided and uh, found an agency that actually interviewed with with three agencies um, to find the the proper surrogate. Signed up with one. It was interviewing one surrogate after another, and you know, every time we, it, it is an emotional journey because uh, you talk to one, and then they may seem okay, and then their profile goes to your doctor, and your doctor says, oh, they're BMI is too much or something's wrong with them, you know, because they're they're very careful in their uh, screening of the surrogacy carrier, uh, carrier, surrogate carrier. Fat shaming um, doctors. Yeah. So, you know, one one clinic may take this certain surrogate, but the other one may not. So in like looking for a surrogate, like what was important to you? What were you looking for? Oh, I think most importantly, just communication someone that you can have an understanding of anytime I needed to talk to you about, Hey, how are you feeling? Um, getting updates that she was okay and, and all for it. Our surrogate was remarkable. She would always say, you know, your baby, your baby, and never like made it awkward that she was carrying, you know, a baby that perhaps she would get emotionally tied with or connected with. So that was important. And so we had um, bi-weekly little chats or meetings and stuff like that. It was very helpful to find the, the, the correct surrogate that way. All right, so, so you found the surrogate that you like and that your doctor likes, Bobby. Then what happened after that? Yeah, so fortunately, we picked a surrogate that um, was type A like me. So she was very, <laughs> um, took notes, was on top of things. And I think it made the process so smooth. Um, you know, I hear lots of stories with other other intended parents and their journey, and um, I was just really grateful that this particular surrogate had her shit together and was on top of things. We did the transfer. Let's see. We signed up with the agency in March, and by June, we had contracted with the, the surrogate. And you have to go through this whole process. You have to get attorneys involved, the egg donor uh, my partner's sister had to sign paperwork as well. Um, and then by August of of that same year, we were doing our transfer. So transfer, and again, going into the whole, everything worked out smoothly. We had pregnancy within the first transfer. And then nice. by the following May, we welcomed our first son. Wow, I think really it was quickly. like a year. Yeah, it was super quick. It was it was just a little over a year. Otherwise, like you hear stories of two years or three years of planning fruition. Yeah. And and Bobby, you said that it was pretty smooth. But was what was the hardest thing about that process? The hardest was part it for you? Costly. Costly. Yeah. Costly. I this second surrogacy journey, I stopped taking notes about how much I'm spending. But the first one, I jotted everything down. It was it was costly. 
you know, they tell you to jump and you jump. So every time they're like, you need to pay this amount, pay that, you just had to do it because this was the outcome was something you wanted. And that was the process. Because it's so costly, did you spend some time before the pregnancy saving up for it? Yeah, we had both saved um, some money for it. You know, I think luckily work was pretty good. So was able to do it financially without too much burden. And then Ed, what was what was the hardest part about the process for you? The process of adoption uh, was very easy for us. We had prepared for really uh, scary, intense situations, but because just the nature when we of the situation we had our when we had our first child, that his birth mother had done a safe surrender. No relatives were stepping forward to lay claim, if you will. And the social workers were reassuring us that this was uh, like a pretty open and shut case. And that turned out to be true. We still had our worries, but it, it wasn't difficult. And then when the second one came along, because he is the biological brother of the first one, the system prioritizes keeping siblings together. And mm. so our oldest child actually had more legally more powerful connection to anyone except for the birth parents. And so once we knew that the birth parents weren't interested, then uh, we knew we could that it was pretty safe. So it, it was a pretty easy process. Nothing's easy about having a baby, right? Like that's hard. <laughs> and like, you know, the waking up and the changes to your lifestyle and uh, all of those things, um, like that's hard, but the adoption process was not hard for us. We were lucky. So then let's get to some of the good parts. Like what has been some of the most rewarding moments about like being a parent? I think just seeing life through their lens. I started actually disliking Disneyland. And I remember taking my son. I know, right? Who can be sick of Disneyland? I remember taking him to his first Disneyland experience and it put so much joy in, in his little world that it made me open up and appreciate Disneyland all over again as a kid. There's something new every week, right? Um, he goes to school. He started going to school at age two, which I think is so important. They get to know how to get along with other kids. I think it also grew my relationship with my parents closer. I've noticed even from my brother had his son first, and even that brought us closer. And then when I had my son, my mom was actually the the last to know because I knew she wouldn't be okay with it. So she, we told her, I told her two months before my son was going to be born. And um, yeah, I think I think just having him around it grew our relationship so much closer um, as a family. Being able to to talk to my parents more about things and you know them seeing me as a parent. Did you see that coming? I didn't actually. I think when you have a kid, it just matures you in a bit. And a lot of things that used to matter don't matter and things that should matter matter. So so, so why did you think your mom was going to have the hardest time about the fact that you were having a son? I think it took her a while, both my parents a while, because they, um, they're Christian, to accept the fact that I was with um, a same-sex partner. And now we're having kids and 
Um, I think my mom had just always thought about the kids growing up without a mom and how that would be like. So I remember Friday going to their house and eating dinner and then finally whipping up the courage to tell my mom. And she was so angry that I had to leave the house. So I went home and then by Saturday evening, she called me and then she said, she was crying. Actually, she said, you know, I, you're always doing things behind my back, never listening to me, but I'm so happy at the same time because she knew how much I wanted to have kids. She knew my relationship with my brother's kids and how that made me so happy in life. Um, that she, I think deep down was always wondering if I would be able to have a kid for myself. And she got her answer. She got her answer and she was fine after that. It's almost like coming out again. It is. Yeah. I, I would totally picture that the same way. Ed, do you relate to that at all? How was the beginning of fatherhood with your own parents? I have a similar, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a similar story to Bobby with my in-laws. So my mom and dad were eager and thrilled. And uh, my mom instantly became like world's best grandma. We've even had a conversation where I, w- I said, mom, you're an amazing grandma. And like, let's be real. You were B minus as a mom. <laughs> and, right? and like, what happened? And she said, I don't have to get him into college. I don't have to make sure he, <laughs> right? I don't have to make sure he has manners in public. I can just love him and be here. And at my age, crying doesn't mean anything to me. I'm fine with it. Mm. Right. And so I think there was a way that I could see like the stress that she felt raising us had eased away, but the love could be rekindled. And so that was beautiful with my uh, husband's family. It was different. So with his brother and sister-in-law, they were so happy and eager. His parents were not in favor of us adopting and they never gave us a straightforward answer about why, but it was absolutely about homophobia and Christianity, right? So they're very Catholic, like church every day, Catholics. And when we got the baby, Chris's mom came and stayed with us to help us, like on the second day. And Chris's dad drove her up and he wouldn't get out of the car to meet the baby. Mm. And it was this really awkward, tense moment. And I happened to have a friend there who's a photographer and he wanted to take pictures of the grandparents (laughs) meeting the baby for the first time and dad wouldn't get out of the car. Oh my gosh. Right? Like it was like an awkward shit show. So he dropped the mom off and uh, my father-in-law drove home, never met the baby. And my mother-in-law did attach instantly and became very fond and has remained so to this day. But the delightful part of this story is a year later, we went on a family vacation to Hawaii. And at that point, 
my father-in-law and my now one-year-old son were like this. They were super close, right? And they had inside jokes and like they would rub their hands together and the sound would make them both laugh. I don't know why that's funny. And uh, they would take naps at the same time. <laughs> and they would like go down to the beach together and sit in the shade together. It was just really sweet. And it was a lesson for me that sometimes we don't have to like push and advocate and organize and, you know, take to the streets <laughs> in a metaphorical sense with our families. We can just let things be and like let babies do their magic right and i think there's other areas of life that i can learn to let go and let things take their course without me fighting them and that's a lesson i keep relearning it seems like everything's just coming around like babies teach us all patience mm-hmm. uh, like even the grandparents <laughs> yeah you hear that a lot uh, once the baby comes out you know, even the, the person that has the hardest time accepting the baby is going to warm up to it. Is there is there a certain rewarding thing about being a dad that you wanted to share, Ed? Um, another, like, white chick moment. I actually did feel love at a deeper level than I had ever experienced before. Like, there was this space that was untapped. And, of course, I've loved people and been in love. And this sense of connection, ownership, provider, right? All of these things, it's very deep. And so that is something that has been amazing. And I'm also blessed that I have, that both my sons are charming and witty and mischievous and funny. And so we do have these moments of hilarity and joy and play. And I think one of my big gifts as a dad is that I can play and that I can wrestle and I can pillow fight and I can break rules. And so having those moments with my kids has been very joyful and satisfying for my life. I feel like you're, the both of you are getting my hormones all up and going. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just uh, Pride Friday, Chris. Yes. <laughs> maybe that's what's getting your hormones going. You know, it, it's it's uh, the, the week of Father's Day. Uh, Pride's <laughs> coming up. I'm 43. What am I supposed to feel? Okay, we know that, you know, parenthood isn't easy, you know, the sleepless nights, the meltdowns, talking in baby voice. What has been the toughest thing so far? It took me a while to discover this. This is a more recent discovery because I think when parents talk about the challenges they face, they are about fatigue or behavior, or um, I, I, I feel like um, the loss of identity and independence is uh, one that's being discussed more and being brought more to light, and I definitely experienced that. So what surprised me is that I have found the actual toughest thing about parenting to be the introspection that we need to do in order to show up as the best dads possible. So what I mean by that is that if you have childhood wounds, 
which y'all have talked about a lot on this podcast, right? <laughs> and I have those that in order to interrupt those cycles, you have to understand them and go through a healing process. And what I see is that many of us who grew up with wounds hit this point, maybe in our mid to late 20s, where we understood the baggage that we're carrying with us, but we also found that we can move through life okay, right? Like we maybe graduated from college or have careers or are successful in relationships or at least getting laid regularly, right? So there are like (laughs) things that we're able to do with our wounds. So we label them and put them on a shelf. So we understand I am afraid of of long-term commitment. And we put that in a box and put it on the shelf, or we understand that, um, I'm hostile in this type of conflict and we label that and put it on a box and, and put it on a shelf and then move through the world. Like, okay, I understand it. So I'm an okay. And you are for that period of life, but you haven't done the healing. And then when you have kids, they will take those boxes and drag them down and rip them open and show you metaphorically, like, daddy, look, you have fear of attachment and now you're stuck with me, right? (laughs) And so we need to then go back and actually do the healing work. And so many of us, and I think particularly in like Gaijin culture too, right, that we have found ways of numbing our pain. Right. And so we turn to the alcohol or the drugs or the uh, or grinder or um, whatever, binging Netflix, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. And like all of I'm not judging any of that. And I've done all of that. Right. But that's not healing. That's numbing and it stalls our process. And so when you have kids, if you don't want to pass on the same shit that your parents passed on to you, you have to do the work. And so the silver lining for me is that I started doing that work and formed a business out of it. And so when I was seeking help for my son, um, well, not for my son, for me on how to be a better dad with my son, because his big um, behaviors were triggering me. And I found this field of positive parenting and there's a lot of good stuff in there. All the coaches and educators are white women, right? And I saw good stuff, but I had to translate everything into my cultural uh, place in the world. And also I couldn't get past the fact that when I was triggered, I couldn't access a tool. And so added to these tools, the processes by which we in community look through how we're showing up in the world, what's causing it and how we go through that healing process together. And I find that's best, uh, that, that method works much better for folks of color. And so almost all my clients are folks of color and a lot of queer folks. And also, um, that we do it better with groups of people And so because we can compare notes and support each other, and I feel like unlike the therapy model, now we're kind of traditional healing in community, right? And so that's what I'm trying to bring uh, to the field. And 
Um, I've had some amazing moments with it and we're a a year young now. Um, and so still trying to figure out exactly what the right model is with this. Well, that's so good. I love that. Take the hardships and make it a business. (laughs) (laughs) Take the hardships and get that coin. (laughs) Monetize trauma. Monetize trauma. Totally. I'm totally monetizing my own trauma. Uh, Bobby, what's been the toughest thing for you? Yeah, I agree. I think it's just taking what we liked and didn't like growing up as a kid, as an immigrant kid, and being cognizant about doing the right thing, saying the right thing to your child so that he doesn't bear those those um, traumas that we've had. So I'm constantly second-guessing, am I doing the right thing or saying the right thing? Um stuff like, you know, Preston having his temper tantrums, et cetera, and how how to handle that. Um, Each case is different. And um, I think another challenge is just that I've noticed recently is um, people always want to give you their advice on how to um, rear your kids, right? So especially what what gets to me is uh, people that have never had kids before, um, so I was at a lunch with someone <laughs> and don't force feed your kid because they had, I guess, a, a, a trauma when they were kids about being force fed. And to me, it's like, okay, well, this is my kid. I want him to get his nutrients. This is the only way that he's going to eat and grow tall because we want them to grow tall, et cetera. So let me just do my thing. So I think that's a challenge. Um, just being the best dad that I can possibly be, um, in my kids' eyes. And not that I should care about the public's eye, but, you know, it's, it's inevitable that that's going to be something that you feel like you're under a microscope and, you know, as long as you try your best, um, people understand, but yeah, everyone's got an opinion. Exactly. So I guess we'll scrap the part where Chris and I give you guys parenting advice. Let's just scrap that. Just cut that out. What I'm really looking forward to is the comments of parenting advice from the New York gays. <laughs> you will get those messages. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> so it's our favorite time of every episode, the time to be real. The part of the podcast where we get real about whatever's on our hearts or minds. And I want to make you start, Chris. It's time to be real. Well, the the group of y'all know that we actually had to delay getting together to talk because last week my dad passed away. You know, just... I'm sorry. What, three days before Father's Day? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's uh, caused me to go over... Um, in my head, like these mixed set of emotions around parenthood, because I was thinking about it coming up to um, us chatting. And uh, you know, I said before, I decided long ago that I didn't want kids for myself, but I didn't think it'd be for me or it'd be a very good parent. But then the last five years or so, I've, um, you know, as my dad's health has deteriorated over the like number of maladies, uh, which is why I don't like. I'm not big on, like, uh, being an older parent. Um, I thought, do I want kids? Uh, Do I want a legacy to pass on some generational wealth and maybe some generational trauma? But but then I also think, am I just being selfish because I want someone to take care of me in my old age? And I I struggle with that. Like, oh, like... That shouldn't be why I have kids. And what's to guarantee that will even happen? Like, I don't... I'm always trying to figure out, do I love my parents or do I love them out of duty? Is it like a cultural thing? Like, I've said before, I don't always like my parents, but I do love them. Uh, they, They drive me crazy. In some ways, I don't know how to feel. And it sucked because my dad has always trying to not be a burden on us and never asking for anything, uh, kicking us out of the nursing home he was in. You know, and the afterwards, it actually becomes an emotional burden because I didn't get to see him, like, uh, very recently. And uh, I think it took a toll on all of us because he pushed away so much help that he could have had a better life for himself, I think. Just like healthcare, like uh, mm. emotional support, community, but I think that's also kind of like an old, old timey, straight male like thing. Not a lot of friends because you know it was it's a generational thing. I makes me want to figure out if I have a kid or not. I get lonely easily, and so I second guess myself a lot on my decision about kids. But I don't think I could deal with a teenager uh, now or a decade from now. Uh, I, I can't even, I don't have patience for myself even. So that's where I'm kind of navigating right now. And it's still fresh. So I don't have any answers yet, but maybe uh, little answers will pop up over the next weeks. And a lot of what you all have said today, kind of like, it's, it's, it's kind of healing too. Well, first of all, sorry. I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. I don't know, we've, we've texted this before. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. 
Uh, I mean, I'm glad to have all of you as like my community because I think it's that's something that's very different that our generations have been able to build. Just like you've said, and it really like struck a chord with me, Ed. Like we build larger like communities. It's not just about the nuclear family, which is. Um, you know, uh, 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 a colonial thing. It's an imperialist thing. It's a white thing, uh, the nuclear family. And a kind yeah. of a recent thing. And an unhealthy thing in many yeah. ways. To only rely on that. And so I love this idea of this large community of support. I'm done talking about myself. Uh, Ed, you, were you feeling anything today? Yeah, this one is fresh. This is from this morning. And so related to the topic of fatherhood, I had this moment where I was looking at my husband, who's clearly going through some stuff right now, and thinking about him with such love and care, but also parenting has really created this gap between us. Not like an existential gap, but so much of our lives are focused on the kids and so much of our conversations are about planning or worries or budget, right? It's like their household business conversations that we have. And I'm like, here is physically the man that I fell in love with 19 years ago and I see parts of what we had but then it's just he feels out of reach sometimes and I I miss him and we're in the same house together and I just miss the time the quality time the space to be with each other and so, um, babe, if you listen to this podcast, just know I'm thinking about you and want time to connect. We love you, Chris. And even though Ed lives in the same house as you, speaking to you through a podcast <laughs> that you might or might not listen, listen to. That's a lot of love. The message is there. Great communication skills. <laughs> And I work with couples. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Bobby, do you have anything to share? Yeah, I think um, just for whoever's out there thinking of being a dad, going on this journey of, of you know, having children, um, you know, it's, it's really not for everyone. You don't have to feel like you need to do it because so-and-so is doing it or whatnot. It's, it's, it's an amazing journey. It's something that I felt like I really wanted to do for myself. Um, even right now, I'm still trying to balance, you know, fatherhood with mm-hmm. friendships, right? You want to have that good balance of, oh, I still want to go out. I still want to be a proper parent. A lot of my straight friends are like, you're nuts. How do you have all this time to travel and do <laughs> what you do? And, you know, there's a good balance and everyone's different. So, um, with that said, just if you feel it in your heart to to do it, just just start the process. I'm going to coin it now. That's called heteroboringtivity. It doesn't <laughs> all have to be that way. People can yeah. live a life <laughs> with kids. Yes, yeah. and we we uncles love hanging out with Preston. So life doesn't end. 
my be real is just, you know, the, the fatherhood thing. There's all these things I've talked about. Age, I've talked about fulfillment, being in between boyfriends, so single, and some of these things informing whether it's even possible to have a kid. But I think if I dug deeper, it's this fraught topic between me and my mom. She and I had spent all this time in Asia together, and she has always been... Um, have a kid, have a kid. You should have it for you and not for me. And when I was in age, she said, but I'm curious, like, what is, are you going to have kids? And I'm like, I'm 50-50 and the other 50 that's going to have a kid, some of the things have to line up. Like, I'm probably going to give up by the time I'm 45 if it's not going to be in the cards. I would like to do it with a partner. I am more probably leaning toward adoption than like surrogacy, but that's also depending on the partner. And she's like, okay, well, great. Good to know. So I respect that of you. Um, I come home from Asia and then a week later she calls me and she's like, oh, so this topic of kids, I have this great idea. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, there's this woman your age in Vietnam that we know. She also is never going to have a husband. Red, she's a lesbian. (laughs) So she's a lesbian um, and she wants a kid. And so we were thinking, you should have the kid with her and me and your two female cousins will just take care of the kid. And something in me triggered so hard. Oh my gosh. That I actually went through like, why would I want to do that? And I just kind of like shut down. I shut down. Like you actually, you know, this is something I am dealing with on my own. Let's not ever talk about the topic of kids again. (laughs) 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 Or I was like, Bowen has my my sister has a partner that being eleven. Focus on her first. She's, she's most likely to have kids first. So why don't you focus your attention on her? And then I don't think my mom and my relationship hasn't been the same after that talk. And I've thought about it and I've ever vocalized this to her. It's that and because I, I, I talked to another friend who is um, so so I'm the last son in the family line. My friend is also the last son in the family line. And obviously, if you're from an Asian culture, that's important to some people. Not important to my dad, but for some reason, important to my mom. Um, and we were talking about the things that the weird things that our mom saying. His mom, who lives in China, has also offered him something similar. Like, just throw throw some cum over here in Asia, <laughs> and we'll take care of the rest of it, right? And we were both angry for the same reasons. Like, why do you think we would just do that and do that to a child? This child's already going to be raised in this country that's not accepting of queer parents the father's gonna come around like like i'm gonna come around every christmas and like buy thomas a choo-choo train for this kid and that's the all he ever sees of his father who's gonna explain this when they're in the classroom what is the story that they tell the kids about their parents and i realized after talking through all this that this is probably like the deepest thing that i have about this fatherhood topic and that i probably should pick up the phone and and have a conversation with my mom about it because it's been a total of four months and there's just been a lot of distance and I'm still angry about it. I, it feels so strange that, the, you know, there's that generation of people who still treat kids like property. And I hope that the world can grow from that. Can I offer a counterpoint? Yeah. So that, and like, I get, I see your feelings. I see that. I also okay. think that Bobby and I also talked about the feeling of exclusion from Asian moms who didn't want to see kids born and raised in a queer context, or that was too much of a jump for them mm. initially. And the Asian moms pressuring adult children to have, to make 
grandbabies is as old as time, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, right? <laughs> and so the fact that your mom put this outdated heteronormative like pressure on you there's a somehow a beauty in that too even though it's annoying as fuck and also you throw your cum everywhere else so why not to china (laughs) (laughs) yeah lately it's been into a rag but yes Um, but thank, no, I, I see that. I see that she just, we've never had to, a deep talk about, about that. And that's why she didn't understand. And, and maybe there is some of that going on, though, the internalized homophobia, maybe on her end, and maybe also on my end about like yeah. the, the, the pessimistic outlook I have for this child because he'll have a dad like me. I think there's, there's mm-hmm. some work to do there, too. Now we're going to play um, a game that we just created as a surprise for you both called Dad or Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris and I will spit out some topics, concepts, uh-huh. slash thingies. And then Bobby and Ed, you will decide whether it's a dad vibe. So full-on responsible, non-sexy, father figure vibes. So you'll decide whether it's dad vibes or if it's a daddy vibe. So like hot damn, daddy makes my heart go padam. So first topic. <laughs> ready? Are you guys ready? Mm. First topic. Dad or daddy, dad bods. Definitely dad. Agreed. Dad. <laughs> Really? Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like the internet is all about daddy, but I see you dad. I get it. I don't know. I I pref I pref I like a dad bod. Like I'm on scruff more than I'm on grinder. So uh-huh. that's totally daddy to me. I don't know. How about you, Chris? And I appreciate people like you. Because I need those people out there. Yeah, I'm a little dad. I have not been able to like embrace my dad bod. Um, in a way that I often think, like, what would life be like if I could love my gut? And I don't. You wouldn't even, like, make the threshold of dad bod for me, personally. You're really fit. Like, you, during the pandemic, we went to your, like, online workout like classes. You, you classes. I know, and you were full-on abbed out, so. <laughs> and you do Thank you. I think it's fucking in your marathons all the time. That was early pandemic. <laughs> like that was before the bottle of wine a night habit oh, started. Yeah. And so I have cracked that code, I think. Um, but there's still work to do. But I, I would I would love to love it. I would love acceptance. All right. So we got we got a like a one three split. All right, next mm-hmm. up, dad or daddy, new balance dad shoes. Daddy. Daddy, okay, Mm. all right. I'm going to have to recuse myself from this question because I've been so out of any fashion trends that I have no idea what you're talking about. And, uh, like, you know, like, there was another podcast where I, like, texted you guys. I'm like, what's released your sex tape, right? Like, I just don't know anything out in the world. So I'm going to recuse. The non-binary stringy tops, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Bobby, why why daddy on New Balance dad shoes? No, I just when you said that, I pictured this um, zaddy wearing New Balance shoes. I guess first thing that your came. first image in your mind. I think yeah. it's hot. Like they're practical, but still cute, cute enough. But that could change. 
I was at a circuit party and I had my, those are my comfortable dancing shoes, New Balance shoes. Yeah. And some guy's like, oh, cute. I love how you're like feeling the whole dad vibe in this place. <laughs> <laughs> and then you started like fanning him. <laughs> <laughs> then he got angry. Um, okay, the next one. Dad or daddy leashes on humans. The act of putting a leash on a human. It could be a toddler. It could be a 35-year-old. So leashes, dad or daddy? Um, I'm going to... Can we say both? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, like there's something fulsome cute about that, fulsome hot that I can see. And then also as... Uh, this is one of those things, Bobby, you talked about like people without kids passing judgment. Like mm-hmm. I totally passed judgment on that shit before I had kids. And mm-hmm. now while I don't use them cause I don't want judgment passed on me, like they totally make sense. And there are definitely times, especially when I had a three-year-old that can move quickly where a leash would have been helpful. Right. Yeah. I know your kids run fast. <laughs> Bobby. Uh, dad or daddy on leashes i would say i would say i see both too leash leashes it's sexy at some point i have to hide all my stuff from preston from going into my (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's for the dog that we're gonna get right right not for you don't swing it around so we all have tickets to aftershock at Folsom. so we all meet there (laughs) We'll meet there. Yeah, they're on tier one prices, so we'll see each other there. Uh, all right, dad or daddy spanking. What, what do you think? What's, what's your first reaction? Definitely daddy, because we're not allowed to spank. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Just... Mm-hmm. Uh, totally daddy. Yeah. Generational trauma stops here. Right, right, absolutely. Like spanking only at your request. Exactly. Okay, and last one, dad or daddy, dad jokes. Like this joke, what does a baby computer call his father? Anyone? What? Data. Data. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. And when you say it, bow, it's totally daddy. Oh, Absolutely. Oh. You better save that for the parties, uh, Bao. Yeah. It's going to be in my grinder bio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have a surprise for you, too. And oh, okay. the fact that you said dad jokes is great because I came in with some dad jokes based on literally gage. <laughs> oh, and so I'm going to have you guys in a contest. All right. And so, uh, and to me, the worst and best dad jokes are puns. So these are all puns on literally or gaysian. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I said this gaysian loves crafts and sparkle, you would say craft and sparkle uh, Mm -hmm. rhymes with literally. Oh, glitterly. Literally. So that was the sample. All right. Um, okay. So this is also on the first three are on uh, rhyme with literally. All right. Or plays off of 
So this Gaijin lives in a suburb of Seattle and on their front window has a pride flag, a BLM flag, and a in this house we believe sign. It's a religiously Gaijin? No, no. BLM, in this house we believe science is real, Black Lives Matter... Progressively Gaijin? Close. Think literally. Liberally Gaijin. Liberally Gaijin. (laughs) Okay. Based on your performance of those two, this one's going to be harder, so I'll give you Okay. This um, Gaijin, this nerd Gaijin loves poetry, especially when uh, words have the same first sound. A literal, a literally Gaijin. That was a the literally, literally Gaijin. That was okay. the easiest one, so, actually. <laughs> last one. Chris has one. Okay, last one. Last one on literally. Okay. This Gaijin lesbian um, enjoying a personal moment. Clitorally Gaijin. Bobby's so gay he couldn't even say it. Yes, clitorally Gaijin. Wow. Oh, my God. Thank you, Bobby. I was not getting that. Okay, so that's great because you're one each. Okay, the next category of words um, are plays off of Gaijin. All right? So um, the first one is... They say Asians don't, but this Gaijin did. Raisin. Raisin. Yes, literally raisin. 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 <laughs> literally raisin. Oh that is the so dad joke. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that this Gaijin lives in rural Louisiana. Bayou. Literally, literally Cajun. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. This Cajun lives on a uh, island in the Caribbean. Uh, Literally Caymans? No. Close. That's a good one. Caribbean. Earthquake prone. Uh, literally Haitian. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. And this is the last one. This Gaijin who was giving a blowjob in a dark room for story value accidentally <laughs> scraped his knee. Think about the scraped knee. Scraped knee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Raisin? Crazy? No. Literally mm-hmm. crazy. Another word for a uh, scrape on the body. Brazen. Cut. Literally. Bobby, I feel like you're almost there. Bra- literally brazen? Abrasion. Literally abrasion. <laughs> that was a 
I knew oh, my God. <laughs> I need I need a nurse in for that one. Good job, you guys. I think you should stick to, job. The, uh, stick to the counseling. Don't, don't become a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> These were dad jokes. My bar was low. Abrasion <laughs> okay. was that was there. There was a long bridge to travel. Yeah, that one was definitely a stretch. <laughs> oh my God. Well, on that note, daddies, dads, that's a wrap on our episode. I'm like, I'm so happy to uh that y'all came on so that we could chat. Yeah, it's been so fun having you on. So Bobby, Ed, thanks for taking the time out of your busy dad slash daddy schedules to talk to us. Thank you for having us. For you guys anytime. Thank you. You can follow Ed's work with POC Parents on his Insta at Villagewell Parenting or on TikTok at Queer Brown Dad. And you can follow Bobby at LeeLand15 on Instagram. Uh, and do you want relationship advice from two geriatric millennials? <laughs> Send in an audio or text question to our Instagram at LiterallyGasians. And that's a wrap for this episode of Liberally Clitorally. <laughs> Cajun <laughs> abrasion. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> bye bye. Bye, everyone. Padam, padam. My heart goes padam. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.